Hello, and welcome to Digital Leadership with Brandon Cox. This is my podcast where I get to talk about life and leadership and some digital marketing and really whatever else I want to talk about in between. It's, it's my podcast, so I'll talk about what I want to talk about. But I have been talking about the things that are killing us as leaders, the things that are holding us back from our full potential to succeed and to influence the world in leadership. We kind of started off this whole podcast by talking about a lack of identity among leaders and how that's holding us back, how it's killing us. Then I spent a whole episode on burnout and how really it's a lack of rhythm in our lives that leads us to a place of burnout. Uh, Spent another episode on mental health issues, on depression. I shared my own story with depression. So if you've missed any of those, be sure to go back and catch those episodes because they're very important. They're kind of foundational to things moving forward. Today I want to talk about something that is extremely common to leaders. It's another leadership killer Uh, I want to talk about limiting beliefs. This is extremely common in my world. I'm a pastor. I'm a church leader. So I see this as extremely common among pastors. I want to dig into some reasons why in a few minutes. Uh, I believe it's common in the business world. It's certainly common among humanity. One of the more important um, recordings I've ever listened to was Earl Nightingale's talk on The Strangest Secret. I would encourage you to go to YouTube and search that, The Strangest Secret, and you'll come up with Earl Nightingale. He recorded it back in the 1950s, and uh, it's, it's phenomenal. It's extremely important. I pass it on to as many people as I possibly can because Earl Nightingale pointed out the fact that 95 to 99% of people never achieve real freedom or success in life. And the biggest reason why is because of their thinking patterns, their limiting beliefs. It's extremely common. It's epidemic. And so I'm going to dig in this, this particular episode into what I mean by limiting beliefs, where they come from, what they are, and ultimately how to overcome them. So by the end of this, uh, by the end of this episode, I hope we've got a whole new train of thought to, to run on. Uh, I want to see people set free from limiting beliefs because I honestly believe we're held back. I believe we're held back from our fullest potential for success by thoughts and beliefs that are rooted in error rather than in truth. Let me repeat that. We are held back from our fullest potential for success by thoughts and beliefs rooted in error rather than in truth. So beliefs that limit us have to do with money. They have to do with success. They have to do with relationships. They have to do with love. They have to do with our talents. Um, They have to do with criticism from other people. Uh, Limiting beliefs sort of have a tendency to rule our lives if we're not careful. And I want to dig into for just a second where those limiting beliefs come from. I believe they're practically universal among the human beings that I've encountered in my lifetime. Uh, I have struggled with limiting beliefs, tried to overcome those limiting beliefs throughout my life, and so I know that they're very common. And until you understand where those limiting beliefs come from, where our erroneous thinking that holds us back comes from, it's hard to overcome. It's hard to defeat those thought patterns. So let me just throw out a few sources of limiting beliefs. Uh, First one is childhood. I think that a lot of us have carried beliefs since childhood about the way the world works around us. It could be that we we sat around and listened to our parents disparage those who were successful. You know, they they had a negative attitude toward people with money. Uh, They had a negative attitude toward achievers, toward people who were successful. They just kind of had this general negativity. And we picked up on that. And 
Maybe we were told things uh, that sort of sealed a life of mediocrity for us since childhood. We were told things about achievement or about ambition. A lot of our limiting beliefs come from childhood. A lot of our limiting beliefs come from the negative and jealous friends in our lives. So, uh, you know, there's this sort of whispering that takes place, again, about the people down the street with all the money and the nice cars, and oh, I wonder how they got that. It's those suggestive kinds of questions and criticisms. It's the negative and jealous people in our lives that often feed and fuel limiting beliefs in us, that, that convince us that we should not seek to be successful, okay? Uh, I think also a culture of mediocrity around us. As Earl Nightingale pointed out, we live in a system that is built for survival. We live in a system that basically is built to help as many people as possible to not fail. We try to make sure that everyone can get a mediocre job and live in a mediocre house and a mediocre life. We try to make sure that nobody is left out of that equation and what that creates sometimes is a culture in which everyone tends to settle for mediocrity, that 95% of us to 98% of us never really think outside of the bounds and the limits of what we've experienced thus far. We are settlers. We're settlers. And so that's from the culture around us. Uh, I believe that a lot of our limiting beliefs come from bad theology. They come from a theology that says that God doesn't want us to have anything. He really wants us to suffer and to hurt. And, you know, it's this bad theology of if you desire anything that's bad, that coveting applies to everything on the earth. Just don't want anything. Don't want more influence. Don't want more affluence. Don't want more money or success or, uh, you know, influence over the culture around you, that sort of thing. So there's this bad theology uh, in which, now, now don't get me wrong, I believe we need a theology of suffering. We need a theology that includes suffering, that honors the place of suffering. But if we're honest, some of our theology really limits what we're allowed to believe that God might want to do in our lives. And the biggest one is I believe that we are limited by this culture of criticism by other leaders of other leaders. In other words, uh, when anytime, uh, and I've been watching this for a decade now, anytime a leader, especially a church leader, Uh, sort of rises to a place of influencing others, immediately there are tons of bloggers and and, and social media, uh, you know, somewhat famous people, people with at least a a name on Twitter, a name in the blogosphere, start to write negative things about them, start to pick them apart and overanalyze. And I've watched that happen to leaders that I have dearly loved and cherished. And when unfair, untrue things get said online, they start to spread like wildfire because negative stuff spreads faster. And so in this culture of, quote, discernment, a lot of times not a biblical kind of discernment, but it's this very hypercritical culture of criticizing anybody who wants to influence, anybody who makes money, anybody that sells books, anybody that you know wants to speak outside of their perhaps their local church or anybody that wants to influence in any way, we criticize them. We make sure we sort of verbally put them in their place, at least in our minds. And so out of all of that comes these negative uh, limiting beliefs that hold us back in our lives. I'm going to give you some examples. I wrote down eight. These are eight of the most common limiting beliefs that I encounter, that I've had to face in my own life, that I've encountered with other leaders. I hear these a lot or or some variation of them, and I want to just throw them out there and and tackle them real quick. The the limiting beliefs that I come across so much, uh, one of them would be I, I can't 
afford it. In other words, it's a, it's a scarcity mindset. I can't afford it. Resources are limited. Resources are scarce. I'm going to run out. And this sort of scarcity mentality is a limiting belief. Second one is this. I don't have time. I'm just overwhelmed. So I can't afford it is a scarcity of resources. I don't have time is a scarcity about time. And we'll say things like, I'm just so busy. I'm just so stressed out. I'm just so overwhelmed. And we tell ourselves that over and over and over. And it limits us because we really believe that we don't have time for anything good in life. So we don't ever try anything outside of the norm, outside of the routine. Uh, saying, I don't have time is a limited belief. Because listen, the greatest influencers in history, the greatest inventors, the greatest leaders in government and military, the greatest leaders in business, the captains of industry have all had the exact same amount of time that you have. We all get 168 hours a week, period. You work about 40 or 50 of them. You sleep through, I don't know, 8 to 7, 50, 50 or 56 hours maybe. You sleep and, and the rest, you spend time with family and you rest and you get some leisure time in. So we all have that much time. You can do huge things with that time or you can lock yourself into doing only small things because you'll believe that time is more limited for you than for other people. Okay. Here's a third big limiting belief. I just can't be myself because I'll be rejected. This one's extremely common. It is, I can't just be who I am. I can't just be free to pursue my passions. I can't just be who I am in my personality. I can't just lead the way that I really feel like I'm wired to lead because I'll be rejected if I do. People won't like the real me, and that's a limiting belief. You are you. God made you, and then he broke the mold. There's never been another one like you, and he looked at you when he got done with you, and he said, you are good, and you reflect my nature. So who you are and who you're cut out to be, who you're wired to be by your creator is good. So don't believe that being yourself is just a pathway to rejection, okay? Number four, I'll never be loved. Uh, people believe this because of past rejection. They believe it because of childhood. They believe it because they came perhaps from a broken home or, or someone who abandoned or walked out on them when they were young. Uh, they perhaps believe this because they've been through a couple of messy situations and relationships, a couple of divorces. And, and so we, we wind up believing that there's nobody on earth that can truly love us. And that's just not true. I, I believe it's not true because I believe God loves you. God has proven that. And he has sent other people in your life to love you. And so the idea that I'll never be loved is a limiting belief that relationally holds us back from exploring what it means to love others and be loved in return. Here's number five. It's not my fault. Now, by this, I mean nothing is my responsibility. Whenever you meet someone who always has someone to blame for all of their problems, you're meeting someone who will never overcome their problems. If I believe that everything that's wrong with my life is a result of what other people do to me, then there's nothing I can do to control it. There's nothing I can do to change it. But when I start to look internally, I start to take responsibility for my life, for my decisions, for my relationships, for my attitudes, then I can begin to change things. But as long as I believe that everything is everyone else's fault, that I'm just the victim of what other people do to me and what society has done to me, the government's out to get me, my friends are out to get me, my parents are out to get me, my spouse is out to get me. If it's everyone else's fault, I can't do anything to change my life. And so that is a extremely limiting belief, okay? Number, number six, is that what we're up to? Number six, I can't take risks because I'll probably fail. That is, we, we, we go right up to the edge of a big dream of something that we want to attempt or try, and we hold back because we might fail. 
And the reality is, yes, you might fail. But if you see failure as an end, then you're in trouble. But if instead you start to see failure as a step toward success, failure as a learning opportunity, failure as a shaping and growing opportunity, then you can take risks and you can grow. Uh, you can break out of that limiting belief, okay? Number seven, I shouldn't want more influence. This one's a big one for me, especially if I'm speaking to leaders. If you're in a leadership position of any kind, this is extremely common. I shouldn't want more influence. I'll never forget, one of the things I do is I give away my sermon notes. I wish every pastor did this. I read the sermon notes of others all the time. I, I agree with Rick Warren that they're the commentaries of today. If you want to see how someone else perceives a passage of Scripture, present something, uh, you know, look at the sermon notes that others have had. That doesn't mean you have to go preach them as your own or just borrow them as copy to be read on Sunday. It just means you learn from the preparation and delivery of others. We benefit from each other's work. So I give away my sermon notes. I run a Facebook ad that runs all the time. It just gives away my notes to anybody that wants them. And I get a lot of interesting comments on that on that post where I'm sharing my notes. And and so this guy leaves a comment on that Facebook post that says, well, aren't you full of yourself? Now, he's coming from a place of tremendously limited beliefs. He's insecure. I know that about him. I don't have to know much about him at all to know that he is speaking out of his insecurity. When someone else puts themselves out there and we knock them down, that is always out of our insecurity. And I see it all the time. So I know that's where he's coming from. So I was able to kind of deal with that. But I also know that it's extremely common for us to think that way. That when we see someone hoping to extend their influence, we sometimes tend to think negatively about them. Now, we're okay with people that already have influence. We just have a problem with people trying to grow their influence. And so a lot of us hold back and we don't seek to influence people more because we've been trained to think. We've been beat down by others and by critics to think that seeking influence is a bad thing. That it's just a prideful thing. It's, again, bad theology. And here's the last one. Uh, this is a big piece of, of my heart. Uh, number eight limiting belief is this. I shouldn't want more affluence. That is, I shouldn't want more money. I shouldn't want more means. I shouldn't want more resources. We, we kind of adopt a uh, Mother Teresa mentality that the, the ultimate life and the most virtuous kind of life is one where we reject any kind of prosperity whatsoever and we embrace poverty. We force ourselves into poverty because that's the way to godliness. And I, again, I think that's bad theology. I think that was a calling in Mother Teresa's life. I think it's a calling in certain people's lives. But it's not everyone's calling. The fact is, the reality is, God has used affluent people in amazing ways throughout history. He's used affluent people to protect God's people, to fund the church, to fund missions. Uh, he is blessed financially in certain pockets of the world and pockets of the kingdom in order to extend the kingdom elsewhere. And so affluence is not a bad thing. It's all in how we use it. If you grew up believing that money is the root of all evil and that wealth is bad, that is a limiting belief. Instead, you need to understand that wealth is neutral. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad. It's the love of money. It's when we make money into a God and worship it. It's when we believe that money is everything. And if I don't have it, I'm insecure. Or if I don't have it, I'm insignificant. That's where the problem lies. The problem is not in having money. So if you desire more affluence to earn more money, that's a good thing. That's a good thing if your motives are good, if your reasons for wanting it are good. So those are examples of 
limiting beliefs. And, and I believe they are holding us back and they're killing our leadership. They're, they're, they're hindering the influence of good leadership on this earth. And, and, and these limiting beliefs have to be taken captive and destroyed, which kind of leads me into this last part. What's the battle plan? What do I do with limiting beliefs in my life? How do I root them out? How do I look at my own life? Well, let me just give you these four thoughts about this, about how to do that. First, I think you ought to take all your thoughts captive. Take an assessment of what you're thinking. Look at your life and go, what do I believe that's holding me back? What do I believe that is just keeping me in a place of mediocrity that's keeping me from stepping out? Maybe go back over my list that I gave. And if you look on my website um, on brandonacox.com or digitalleadershippodcast.com, you'll find the list of these in my notes. And they are, I can't afford it. I don't have time. I can't be myself. I'll never be loved. It's not my fault. I can't take risks. I shouldn't want more influence and I shouldn't want more affluence. So out of those eight things, which ones do I struggle with personally? You know, which ones are holding me back personally? And, and so take those things captive and name them, confess them, bring them into the light, get them into the open, uh, draw those things out of your heart. Then destroy those strongholds. Repent of those things. Just place them before God in prayer and say, God, I, I've thought these things that have held me back and, and I don't want to do that anymore. I'm taking these things captive. I am destroying them. I declare these things dead. And then you absolutely have to replace those limiting beliefs with truth. You absolutely have to. If you just decide to stop thinking something, you're going to go back to thinking it because that's the way that you sort of created your secure world. But if instead you replace false beliefs with truth and and you reverse these, and instead of saying, I can't afford it, which is a scarcity mentality, if instead you say, how could I afford this? Or should I afford this? That, That means maybe I don't need it, or maybe there's a creative way for me to earn the money to buy it that's different than I can't afford it because I don't have anything and I'll never have anything. Instead of I don't have time and I'm overwhelmed, I could just say I'm overbooked. I'm really busy right now, but I can change that. I can do something about that. Instead of I shouldn't want more influence, I replace that with God made me for influence, that I have a message that the world needs to hear. And and in such, I begin to positively believe that I should influence, I should have more influence, I should have more affluence. I, it is my fault, it's my responsibility when I run into problems that I, I can be loved, I can take risks. And so replacing those false beliefs with true ones. And then the last thing is this, to repeat and rehearse and to put into practice those beliefs, those true beliefs, to eliminate limiting beliefs, to, to knock down those strongholds, to replace those with positive truth, and then to repeat those truths, rehearse those truths, and live out those truths, to act on those better truths. I'm convinced that leadership in general, good leadership, is held back drastically by limiting beliefs. And I really have this desire to root that out and destroy that in my life, and I'm hoping that this podcast episode might help you do the same as well. Maybe it'll just bring to light something in your life, in your heart that that you need to deal with, that you need to kind of take captive and destroy and replace with something positive so that you can be set free. Let me just close out this episode by speaking something more positive into your life. Because if you're watching or listening and you're in leadership of any fashion, of any flavor, and and no doubt if you're listening and watching this, you, you are, 
whether it's within your family, organization, community, you lead people, you influence people because leadership is influence. So if that's you, let me just say, God wants you to influence people according to how he wired you, according to how he made you. He wants your message, your story to get out to the rest of the world. He wants what you have to say about life to impact and influence others. That, that God is not interested in just keeping you back and keeping you beat down. He's not interested in keeping you chained to mediocrity, that God wants to set you free, that your influence matters, that you as a leader, what you pour into the lives of other people, the way you serve people, the way you help people, it makes a difference, and that you get to be passionate about it, and it's okay. You don't have to apologize for the message that you're trying to get out about life. You don't have to apologize for wanting to make a positive impact in your world. You don't have to apologize for wanting to grow in generosity. You don't have to apologize for wanting to grow in influence. You don't have to apologize for wanting to expand the horizons of who you get to touch and influence and motivate uh, for, for God's purposes. So keep that in mind. Whatever influence and whatever affluence God might give to you, you're a steward of that. You're a manager of that. You're always responsible to God for that. You got to check your heart and your motives at all times along the way. Absolutely. But you were made for this generation and this moment to lead and to influence in some way. So go chase it and don't apologize for it. Drop the fear of man and stop looking around and listening to the critics Shut off the Twitter stream if it's too negative for you and just decide, I'm going to go love people. I'm going to dream big. I'm going to try big things. I'm going to influence as many people as I possibly can. I'm going to get the word out. Uh, I'm going I'm to share my message and I'm going to impact people to the best of my ability for their best and for the good of all of us, for the glory of God. So you keep going at it and don't let those limiting beliefs hold you back any longer, okay? Let's shut them down and let's come back to life. Oh, real quick before I go, let me tell you about something really important. This digital leadership podcast is free for everybody. I want it to bless and benefit people. I really have a heart to grow leaders and I hope as many people as possible subscribe to this, share it, review it, get the word out about it, uh, post the YouTube videos, share my blog posts, whatever it is. Let's get as many leaders empowered through this as we can. Uh, I, I put it out there for that reason. I also host what is called the Digital Leadership Lab. You can go to digitalleadershiplab.com, and what I do inside that lab is I post these uh, 30 to 45-minute, sometimes 60-minute mini-courses on some of the subjects we touch on in the podcast, and we go a lot deeper. We dive deep, and we get much more practical and step-by-step uh, we really drilled down. And, and so my goal inside that lab is to extend the influence and the income of leaders. I, I talk about some business practices and marketing practices and things like affiliate marketing and email lists and blogging and, and also leadership topics, all kinds of things. And I'd love for you to be part of it. If you want to support this podcast or you just want to dive deeper into some of the topics we talk about and just be part of a community of people who are growing together, Run over to digitalleadershiplab.com and sign up. The cost is normally $35, but because you listen to this podcast, you can use the coupon code PODCAST. Just type in PODCAST when you sign up, and you'll get 20% off for life. So instead of $35 a month, it's $28 a month 
for life on a recurring basis. So uh, would love for you to do that. Would love to see you inside that lab and let me know how I can encourage you, teach you, coach you along the way. Thanks so much.